the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. And I will say to you today, I don't care who you are, where you live, how far in sin you live, you've drifted. If you want joy, if you want freedom, if you want forgiveness, if you want redemption, if you want sanctification, if you want justification, you've got to come and put your faith in Jesus. And if you put your faith in Jesus, he will wash all your sins away. Hello and welcome as we lift up Jesus with Pastor Dudley Rutherford. I'm Kyle Welch, and we're glad you are joining us tonight. The difficult times we live in begs the question, where is God during our most challenging times? We believe the more the world becomes chaotic, the more we need to draw closer to God and learn to trust in Him. The Bible is our source for all things that sustain us as Christians. Philippians 4.7 tells us that we can have the kind of peace that transcends all understanding, even when the world seems to be completely out of control. Over the next 30 minutes, Pastor Dudley Rutherford is going to share a message meant for everyone listening right now. We know it is no accident you are with us tonight, for God orchestrates all things perfectly. So let's join Pastor Dudley right now with tonight's message. There was a time in early American history where the Bible was a sacred book and taught in our public schools. Dating all the way back to the 1690s, we know for a fact that the Bible was used in schools as a textbook. They actually used the Bible to teach children how to read, how to write, how to spell. And uh, most of the early schools were conducted by Christian churches. And then in the turn of the century, around uh, 1900s, the states started to take control of schools. But even then, the Bible was still used in the schools. Every day, the kids would begin school by saying the Pledge of Allegiance, they would, they would say a prayer, and they would actually read from the Bible. They did that every day. Jump forward to 1962. For almost, not quite, but for almost 200 years in our nation's history, it was okay to pray in school. They taught kids how to pray in school. They prayed in school for almost 200 years. Until 1962, the Supreme Court of the United States said, that praying in school was unconstitutional. Like it was okay for the first 200 years, but now it's unconstitutional. 1963, the very next year, is when they outlawed Bible reading in public schools. You could still have the Ten Commandments on the walls, and I've told you this, I grew up in a school, I saw the Ten Commandments on the walls of my school. But in 1980, which is not that long ago, is when they ruled you've got to take the Ten Commandments off the walls of the school. 
I just want you to know that our country has really gone down the tube since we've gotten rid of the Bible. What the courts did, and stay with me, they said, and this, oh, this sounds good, that the schools must remain neutral when it comes to religion. Oh, that sounds good. But here's the situation. What they're protecting is atheism. Atheism, I don't know if you know this, according to the courts of this country, is a religion. And what do atheists believe? That there is no God. That's atheism. And so in our schools today, by default, the only faith that is protected by our courts is atheism. No wonder we have a generation of children who've grown up with no knowledge of God. And the numbers of people who are becoming atheists continue to grow. And I believe by default, it's the only religion that's protected by our courts today in America. That's my opinion. I want you to take your Bibles and turn to Exodus chapter 20. We're going to look at commandment number eight, thou shalt not steal. And at first glance, I know what you're thinking. This doesn't apply to me. I want you to write this down, just the introduction, all right? Don't be mad at me. We're all guilty of breaking commandment number eight. Everyone in this room, in some form or some fashion, we've broken commandment number eight. There are 138 synonyms for stealing, theft, snatching, shoplifting, fraud, swindle, embezzlement, cheating, burglarize, high scrab, lift, piracy, pilfer, plunder, swipe, poach, extort, fleece, and so on. I want to ask you this question. Do you consider yourself to be a thief? Do you consider yourself to be a thief? No, you don't. Let me ask you some other questions. Have you ever put money in a newspaper machine to get one newspaper and you opened up the door and you grabbed more than one? Have you ever taken a towel from Holiday Inn? Have you ever fibbed on your expense account? Have you always been truthful in your tax forms? Have you ever lied about your mileage? Have you ever picked up a golf ball in your fairway or in the rough that was not yours? Have you ever taken sugar packets or ketchup packets from a restaurant? Have you ever called in sick when you were not sick? Raise your hand if you've ever done that. Come on, come on. Have you ever cheated on a test? Have you ever downloaded music or CDs or DVDs without paying for them? Have you ever failed to give a tithe on an offering that rightly belong to God. Different categories of theft. One is just ordinary theft, just ordinary theft. There is a story in the Bible, the parable of the Good Samaritan in Luke chapter 10. The Bible says there's a man on the road to Jericho and the Bible says that he fell into the hands of robbers. And they stripped him of his clothes, they took uh, his belongings and they beat this man and left him on the side of the road. That's ordinary theft. They simply went in and took what did not belong to them. I've had my house ransacked uh, and stolen. A thief broke into my house once in, in every room, went through every drawer and took everything of value. It is a terrible feeling when that happens. There are five million people who are caught shoplifting every single year. Of those five million people who are caught, 
For every one person caught, there are 35 people that do not get caught. Stores will tell you that for every 52 customers that walk through their door, that one of those 52 customers is coming in that store to shoplift. Last year, one year, one company, Walmart, lost $300 million of merchandise last year with shoplifters. Number two is employee theft. This is where you take something from work and you use it for your personal use at home. You took a pen, a stamp. Anybody take a stamp from work? Paper. Number three is fraud. This is writing bonus checks. This is borrowing money that you don't intend to pay. This is you having a debt. You having a debt that uh, you're not planning on paying back. Dishonest scales, Proverbs chapter 20, verse 23. The Lord detests differing weights. Dishonest scales do not please God. Number four in your notes, failure to pay your debts. Romans 13, 8 says, let no debt remain outstanding. This is those who refuse to pay their alimony, the ones who refuse to pay child support, those that incur any kind of debt that you're not in the process of repaying. Number five is robber of time. These are people who are habitually late. Is there anyone here that you would plead guilty to being habitually late? Number six is the theft of reputation. Gossip is a theft of reputation. The crime of all crimes is destroying someone's reputation. The Bible says in Proverbs chapter 11 verse 9, with his mouth the godless destroys his neighbor. He doesn't need a gun. He doesn't need a knife. He doesn't need poison. He can destroy his neighbor just with his words. And the seventh way that we steal is the taking of a life. Two weeks ago, we looked at Exodus 20, 13, you shall not murder. Murder, abortion, taking or stealing the life of an innocent person. The Bible makes it clear that stealing is wrong. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 28, he who has been stealing must steal no longer. Proverbs 10, verse 2, ill-gotten treasures are of no value, but righteousness delivers one from death. Psalm chapter 62, verse 10, do not trust in extortion or take pride in stolen goods. Jeremiah says in Jeremiah 7, will you steal and murder, commit adultery and perjury, burn incense to Baal, and follow other gods that you have not known? In verse 10, and then you come and you stand before me in this house which bears my name, and you act like we're safe, we're safe to do all these detestable things that God's not going to do anything to us. Verse 11, has this house which bears my name become a den of robbers? But the Lord says, I have been what? I have been watching, declares the Lord. Jesus picks this up in Matthew chapter 21 when he enters into the temple area in verse 12. He drives out all those who've been buying and selling. He overturns the tables of the money changers and the benches there with all the doves. And then he says in verse 13, this is Matthew 21 verse 13, it is written, he said to them, my house will be called a house of prayer, but you're making it into a den of robbers. Now, where does all this come from? Number one, write this down, is greed. Greed causes us to justify stealing, taking from others, 
things that don't really belong to us. And all sin comes from our heart. You see, we have wickedness in our hearts. And that wickedness leads us to do all kinds of crazy things. But any kind of sin, you know, sin is it's things that we do, but it all comes from our heart. And greed is the basis of me saying or thinking that whatever you have, that I can just take it. That comes from greed. That's the story of the Samaritan. We looked at it earlier where the man fell into the hands of robbers. The robbers uh, had greed in their heart. They didn't care who this man was. Their attitude was what's thine is mine, and they just took it. Jesus goes on in that same story to talk about the priest and the Levite, uh, religious people who are walking by. They see the man that has been beaten. They see the man that has been robbed. They see the man that is in need, and they walk right on by. Their attitude was what's mine is mine. That too is a form of greed. The second thing about stealing, write this down, it's an insult to God's provision and God's generosity. You're like declaring that God is not capable of taking care of you. And so you have to take things in your own hands. And I want you to know that God knows exactly what you need. He knows exactly how much to place in your hands. Matthew chapter 6, the Bible says, if that is how God clothes the grasses of the field, which are here today and tomorrow, are thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, O ye of little faith? Whenever we steal and take things that don't belong to us, we're effectively saying, God, what you've given to me is not enough, so i got to take things into my own hands, and I have to add to that which you've given to me. And that's the third thing, that whenever we still, we're telling God, God, we know better than you do as far as to what I need. Listen, God is not miserly. He's generous beyond our wildest imagination. God is the giver of every good and perfect gift. Stealing is simply expressing, God, I know more about what I need than what you know what I need. And that is a false truth, something that you should never believe in and you're diminishing the greatness of God whenever you take something that does not belong to you you are diminishing the greatness of God and the ability that God has to take care of you so what are we supposed to do since we've all broken this commandment well number one write this down we got to be honest you got to be brutally honest you have to understand that all forms of theft are wrong and sinful so usually what we think is the boss is never going to know I can take this my boss will never know He's not going to know if I call in sick. He's not going to know. Uh, No one's going to find out if I overbill somebody. Most children would never steal if they knew their parents were going to find out. Every time a kid steals something, in his mind, that kid's convinced his parents will never find out. Because if he he thought his parents would find out, he wouldn't steal. And I just want to know, your parents might not know. Your preacher might not know. Your spouse might not know. Your teacher might not know. The government might not know. But God knows because God is watching. God sees everything. So you need to be honest. Number two, you need to confess and repent. Now, confession is when you acknowledge to God that what you've done is wrong, right? But I want you to know that God already knows. God already knows what we did wrong. Amen? You don't go to God and say, God, i got to tell you, I did this. And God goes, really? I didn't know that. No, whatever you confess, he already knows. So here's the deal. You know what you did, and he knows what you did. But when you bring it to God, 
It's not like he's in shock. When you confess it, what you're actually saying is this. You're saying, God, I want to confess that I agree with you that what I did was wrong. That's what confession is. You're just saying, God, I I know you've said all along that this is wrong. I, I just want you to know I'm acknowledging that I agree with you that what I did was wrong. But then you have to repent because you can't just say, God, I did it. And God goes, oh, I'm so glad you confessed to that. Thank you for confessing that. A part of confession is saying you're acknowledging that what you did was wrong, but then there has to be a repentance where you make a decision that you're going to stop. I'm going to stop stealing. I'm going to stop cheating. I'm going to stop gossiping. I'm going to stop shortchanging God. I'm going to stop robbing. You confess, but you have to repent and turn from that. Number three, write this down. Then you have to make restitution. You need to go back to those who you've stolen from, confess it, and then return to them that which you took. Does that make sense? See, the Bible tells a story about a guy named Zacchaeus. He was a little short guy, and he was a tax collector. Tax collectors were notorious thieves. They, they cheated everybody. But for some reason, this tax collector, he heard about Jesus. And one day, Jesus is coming down the street, but he's so short, he can't see because all the crowd, and he doesn't know what to do. So the Bible says that he climbs up into a sycamore tree because he wanted to see the Lord. And the Bible says that Jesus walked, and he stopped right in front of that tree, and he looked up, and Jesus called him by name. He said, Zacchaeus. Now, how did Jesus know his name? He knows everything. And does he know that Zacchaeus is a thief? Yes, Yes, he does. And he says, Zacchaeus, come down out of that tree. We're going to your house today. We're going to have dinner tonight. I want to spend some time with you, a thief. And that's where Zacchaeus crawls down out of that tree. And they have dinner that night. And all the other people were complaining that Jesus is eating with sinners. Jesus is eating with thieves. Jesus is eating with Zacchaeus. Why are you complaining about that? That's why Jesus came, was to save sinners. Now, we don't don't really know the dialogue of that dinner, but we know this, that after the encounter with Jesus, that Zacchaeus, who had robbed everybody, he stands up and he says, from this point on, I'm going to give one half of all my treasure to the poor. And then he says, if I have, if I have cheated anybody, if you've cheated anybody, you've cheated everybody. He goes, if I've ever cheated anybody, I'm going to pay them back four times what I stole from them. And when he says that, Jesus stands up and says, hey, I have an announcement to make. Today, salvation has come to the house of Zacchaeus. I've often wondered if the government came and said, if we've ever taken money and spent it unwisely, we're going to pay you back four times as much. We'd all be rich, amen. We'd all be rich, amen. Number four, I want to write this down. You've got to begin with God. You've got to begin with God. Give to God what belongs to God. You want to make things right with everybody in this world? You should. 
but you've got to start with God. God has all the time in the world. He's got all the talent and all the treasure. He puts it in your hands. You didn't earn it. You didn't deserve it. God put talent, time, and treasure in your hand. And he expects you to use that to bring him honor and to bring him glory. And if you've ever cheated God, if you've ever stolen from God, you need to begin today to give to God what belongs to God. Beginning with your heart. Does all of your heart belong to God or just a portion of your heart? All of it. If you've taken part of your heart and stolen it away from God, you've got, you got to give God all of your heart. Not, not just a part of your time, not a part of your talent, not a part of your, give it. Give it all to Him. It all belongs to Him. Give it, give it in return. And number five as we close, remember what the Lord did on the cross. Remember what the Lord did on the cross. I want you to see this picture. The Bible says here in Matthew chapter 27 as we close, that Jesus died on that cross. Who did he die in between? The most iconic picture that we have of Christ is when he dies on this cross. But the Bible paints a picture that when he dies to his left and to his right is a thief. Did I not just tell you at the start of this sermon that we're all guilty of breaking commandment number eight? We're all a bunch of thieves. And yet when Jesus dies, God chooses at that moment to make sure that he dies between two thieves, people like you and me. I want you to turn to Luke chapter 23. One of the criminals who hung there hurled insults at Jesus and said, aren't you the Christ? Save yourself and us. The other criminal, what was this, what was this crime? They're, thie- they're just like you and me. He rebuked the other thief and says, don't you fear God? See, he knew that this was God. And he says, we are being punished justly for we are getting what our deeds deserve. But this man has done nothing wrong. He understood that this man was dying and he had never committed a sin. And then this thief turns to Jesus and says, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus answered him, I tell you the truth today, you will be with me in paradise. And I want you to know this. You can scrub, you can scrub yourself all day long. And you can't get rid of sin. Sin is removed by what Jesus Christ did on the cross. This thief couldn't see it. This thief knew it. The question is, this sounds funny, which thief are you? Are you the one, let me ask you this, when Jesus died, do you think Jesus wanted both thieves to be with him in paradise? Do you think he died for the thief on his left and the thief on his right, or do you think he died just for the thief on his right? No, he died for all thieves. He died for all of us. But the only way your sins can ever be forgiven or washed, the only way you can ever be justified or redeemed, is when you as a thief put your faith and trust in the one who had committed no sins, the one named Jesus Christ. And I will say to you today, I don't care who you are, where you live, how far in sin you live, you've drifted. If you want joy, if you want freedom, if you want forgiveness, if you want redemption, if you want sanctification, if you want justification, you've got to come and put your faith in Jesus. And if you put your faith in Jesus, he will wash all your sins away. 
these uncertain times, we know as Christians there's a great comfort available to us in the form of prayer. If you feel the need right now for someone to pray with, we have phone counselors standing by, ready to take your call. Our number is easy to dial. It's 888-818-4777. If you are unable to get through on your first try, please be sure to try again. Our phone number again is 888-818-4777. We also want you to know, at the recommendation of health and city officials concerning COVID-19, Shepherd Church will be continuing to hold its weekend services only on the internet and not at any of its campuses for the time being. Shepherd Church is encouraging its congregation and the public to watch the weekend services online. Viewers can connect during our Saturday night service at 6 p.m. or on Sunday morning at 9 or 11 a.m. on either of our websites, shepherdchurch.com and liftupjesus.com. I'm Kyle Welch, inviting you to join us again tomorrow night at this same time here on KKLA as we lift up Jesus with Pastor Dudley.